0: Please pray with me. Father, we just sang that there is none like you who can know our hearts. And so we do ask that you come today, that you speak to our hearts individually and as a church through your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I am going to guess that most of you have seen maps like this. You will often find them in the very back of your Bible. I remember I'm I'm a map person. I like looking at maps when I travel. And when I was a kid, I can remember looking at the back and not really knowing what the maps were about, but I just liked them. They were colorful. This is a map you will often find in your Bibles Um, on the in this box here. I know it's too small to read, but this is a map of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And the the color coding on the arrows, I understand you can't see real well, but there are three missionary journeys mapped out that Paul took. And the fourth arrow, the one at the very bottom, says Paul's voyage to Rome. It doesn't refer to that trek as a missionary journey. And um, I discovered some interesting things, and one of them was that Paul did not establish the church in Rome. Um, I may have read that somewhere and just forgotten it, I don't know, but I found it fascinating that um, no one is really sure who established the church in Rome. It's commonly believed that uh, because it was such a huge city, a million people living there at the time, that some of the Jews had probably traveled to Jerusalem um, because that's what the Jews did at that time. When they could, they would go to Jerusalem for the festivals and feasts and that they learned about Christianity there and brought it back to Rome. So uh, possibly even uh, on the day of Pentecost, which we will celebrate next weekend. Uh, remember to wear red for Pentecost. And so Paul is writing a letter to this church that he has never visited, which I thought was kind of interesting. He mentions in um, the first verse of chapter 1, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So he's heard about them um, probably a little bit and infrequently because they didn't have social media and the news and quick ways to communicate back then. And he goes on to say, God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. So he's never been there. He didn't establish this church, and he's hoping to come and visit. And that's why the map that we had didn't show it as a missionary journey, but as a voyage to Rome. Romans is the longest letter he wrote. And many scholars feel like it is his most important theological le- legacy. Um, one Jesuit scholar said, It is the gospel of the justification and salvation of Jew and Greek alike by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, revealing the uprightness and love of God the Father. Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright says, Paul's letter to the Roman is an alpine peak towering over hills and villages. So that's kind of some wordy stuff just to say it's it's a big deal. There's a lot in there and it's a big deal. And it makes sense to me if you think about it. Paul's heard about the church again, but he hasn't been there. The other churches that he wrote to where he established the church, he knew what they had been taught because he was a large part of, what had, of who had done the teaching. So with the Romans, he really doesn't know what they've been taught. And um, if you remember correctly, they, they didn't meet in like a big church. They were home churches that were scattered out. And so they were getting bits and pieces, I would think, of, of theology through that. And so his letter is long and it covers a lot because he's kind of, I see it as him getting them all, making sure they're on the same page. So he writes this long letter. Um, I flipped through starting at chapter 1 and just read the, uh, the section headings. You know how it'll just give a few words to say what that section is about. And I did that, and it was like, wow. I mean, he really covers a lot of stuff in here. And so I noticed that in verse 12, where our reading came from today, there's this definite shift. In his writing. And it begins in verse 1 with the word therefore. And so I can imagine Paul. He's been thinking. He's been processing. He's been writing. Possibly someone was writing it for him. um, And he might have been dictating it. But he's written all of this stuff. And I can almost see him going. "Ah, Okay. Now that I've said all of that. Here is how you respond to the gospel. Here's what you do. So in the beginning of Romans 12, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, basically in light of what I've just described and told you about, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I thought, you know, it almost reads like a to-do list. Now that I've said all of this and I've explained the gospel and it's clear to you what God has done on your behalf, here's what you're to do. Starting with, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Got it. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Got it. And so I, I was kind of picturing this to do list and and we'll pick up in today's reading which started on verse nine and, and I'm gonna um tell you in advance I'm not gonna say a whole lot about these because each one because we're gonna go somewhere else with it. But he's he's giving them a list. Love must be sincere. Sounds good to me. I would want love to be sincere. Hate what is evil. That sounds really good. We need to hate what is evil. Certainly a lot of that out in the world today. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Maybe that one's not quite as easy because we tend to be self-centered. We see that from the time we're children that it's all about me. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, that makes good sense. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I like the joyful in hope part. I'm not too crazy about the patient in affliction part. I could do without some affliction if you don't mind. Faithful in prayer, Mm, that's a little challenging on my to-do list. Um, An area that I certainly could stand to work on. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I think it's a good thing to share with people who are in need. I think we would all agree with that. And then practice hospitality. And I'm thinking, really? If you had asked me a few months ago if hospitality was in the Bible, I I probably would have had to say, give me a minute, let me do the Google thing, and I'll get back to you because I'm not sure I've ever been really fully aware that anything having to do with hospitality was in Scripture. There are a handful of women in this room who are smiling and going, yep, because we're doing a study right now on Wednesday mornings called Open, Just Open the Door, and it's about biblical hospitality. So yes, hospitality is in the Bible. Right there it says, practice hospitality. Now, those of us in the class have already done this exercise, but I'll give you a minute to do the same thing. When you see the word or hear the word hospitality, what do you think about? Well, I picture, i got to clean my house. I've got to come up with some awesome menu and some food that will just wow them and, you know, they'll just be talking about it forever. And then there's clean up. It'll take days to clean up and recuperate after this. I'll need to set the table like this. If you're a fan of Downton Abbey, yes, that is the dining table from Downton Abbey all set. Um, and here's just one more that I thought was kind of fun. That is a formal place setting. You will not see that at my house, by the way. That is a formal place setting. So the good news that we're learning in this Bible study, and that I feel like the Lord wants to speak to all of us, is this is not biblical hospitality. This is not how we practice hospitality. And so if you do a Google search, if you go online and type in biblical hospitality, one of the first scriptures that you will come come to, and I think partly because it's found in Genesis and partly because it's such a great example for us, is the um Passage that we heard this morning from Genesis. Abraham is sitting in front of his tent. It's a hot day. It's the desert. It's the middle of the day. He's probably been up a while, got up early to do what he needed to do in the cool of the day, taking care of his flocks and his his herds and whatever things he needed to do. And it's midday, so it's time to sit down and, and take a rest. And he looks up and he sees three men standing nearby. And so when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. And so Abraham was doing his normal thing. And he sees these guys and he gets up and hurries to them. And he bows down. You know, body language can tell us a lot. I was thinking um, this morning, yesterday we had our three, our granddaughters and sons over for Mother's Day, and I don't know exactly what they were talking about, but I looked up in time to see my three-year-old, youngest three-year-old granddaughter, talking to our next three-year-old granddaughter, and she put her hand on her hip like this, and she put her other hand out like this, and she did her foot like this. (laughs) And I don't know what she was telling her, but I didn't need to know. Her body language said what she was doing. And so I think about Abraham. He runs out to these three men and he bows. And his body language says something to them. And then he says to them, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. If you caught it on the screen when the scripture was up there, Lord is a lowercase l. I looked in several translations and there's only one where it's an Uppercase L because the belief is that this was the Lord and some angels. But we're not going to focus on that because for Abraham, he simply looks up and sees three men. And Lord is a title of respect that he says to them. And he says, uh, do not pass your servant by. He refers to himself as their servant. And I'm, I'm thinking, why would he say don't pass your servant by? Why would he say that? Well, in Abraham's time, it was considered an honor to serve a stranger. In the Bible study, something came up that I had never heard before, and that was that families would almost fight over who was going to host a stranger in their midst. It was an honor, and not only was it an honor, but there was a strong belief that with it would come a blessing, that you would receive a blessing if you served a stranger and hosted them. In a practical sense, especially for these three guys, it could literally be a matter of life and death. The desert is hot and dry. And if you were traveling from one town to another, you were likely on foot. You might have been riding a donkey or a camel. But you could only carry so much with you in the way of provisions. Water, especially, it would be difficult to carry with you. And so you would you would truly be at the mercy of whoever you came upon who was settled and living there as you traveled. And so we see it played out when Abraham says, let me get some water that you can wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant again, he's reminding them, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. Let me get you water. Let me get you food. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. And I I pictured Abraham. They're going to stay. They're going to stay. We get to serve them. And being so excited. So he he runs into the tent and he tells Sarah, make some bread quickly. And and he runs to the herd and he picks a choice um, tender calf and gives it to his servant and says, here, prepare this. And then he brings them out, some curds and milk and the calf, and he sets them before them. This took some energy. This took some time. You don't go and and slaughter a calf and prepare it and cook it in 15 minutes like we throw something in the microwave and, and you've got something to eat. So it took time and energy and sacrifice. And I'm thinking, you know, Abraham could have just kind of ignored them. Like, I don't see those three guys out there. And he could have thought, oh, it's so hot. It's the middle of the day. I'm tired. I just want to rest. You know, I, it's hard to live out here and, and eke out a living in this environment. and I've got to feed my own family. But that's not what he did. He served them, and then he stands ready. He stands to see how, <clears throat> what other things he can do to serve them. And so I was thinking, how do we apply this example of hospitality to our lives? And I can't imagine that any of us are going to be sitting outside our tent in the middle of the day and someone is just going to wander up who's traveling between cities and and will need water and a meal. But I thought we can learn some things from Abraham. And I think the first thing we can learn is that he was paying attention to what was going on around him. This um, is a hard one for us today in our culture. We typically, we, that's my dad would say, you got a mouse in your pocket. What is this we thing? Um, I typically have my face in my phone, looking at email, texting somebody, doing whatever. Um, our culture is like that. Um, we often see families at restaurants. Everybody's on their phone. So paying attention to what's going on around you is is, I think, a little harder in this day and age. We're we're in our minds and what we're doing next and where we're going. And so he was paying attention to what was going on, and then he took the initiative. He got up from sitting in front of his tent, and he went to them, and he invited them to come into his life. He gave them what he had. He had water, he had food, he had bread, and he gave them those things. And then he stood nearby to see if there was anything else that he could do. And so I'm thinking, now this is basic biblical hospitality. And we can do this. I can do this. And this is significantly different from thinking about hospitality as that perfect house and that perfect meal and all the work to make sure that it's a perfect house and perfect meal. But biblical hospitality is is more than simply noticing a need for something like food or shelter. And I was thinking, you know, the ultimate hospitality was that at a point in time, God himself noticed our need and he noticed that the world was a broken and sin-filled place, that we were estranged from him, and he took the initiative. He, as it were got up and came to us by sending his one and only son to become flesh and dwell among us. We celebrate that at Christmas. Jesus came near and he in, he issued an invitation to come and follow me. Come and be part of my life. Come, let me serve you. Now, this is biblical hospitality. It's interesting to think that Jesus extended that hospitality everywhere he went, and he never even had a home. Like Abraham, Jesus paid attention to what was going on around him. He reached out to the woman at the well. He noticed a man born blind. He saw a crowd of people who were hungry over and over. And as those of you who attend the Tuesday morning Bible study, you hear Whitey say, and every next moment, he noticed he was aware of what was going on. And he stepped in and he met the need with what he had. He met the need with the woman for forgiveness, healing for the man, food for the hungry, and on and on as we look through Scripture. Jesus was aware and paying attention and meeting needs. And like these people that Jesus encountered, most of us have been on the receiving end of forgiveness, healing, spiritual food. And so as I'm studying through this, I I learned that the word hospitality in the Romans passage comes from a Greek word that means love to strangers. Isn't that interesting? Practice love to strangers. And then I had to look up the word practice because we all assume it means practice like you practice your piano lessons, but it means seek after eagerly. Seek after eagerly loving strangers. So in reality, when we look at this passage in Romans, it's not a to-do list at all. It may read like one, but it's not about checking off boxes on whether our love is sincere or we're faithful in prayer, check. We honored our brother above ourselves. Check. It's not that at all. Paul's words are an encouragement to the church in Rome and now to us to live a certain way. To live in a way that reflects our response to the gospel. Our response to all those chapters. The truth that's in all those chapters, Paul wrote. And it starts very simply, like Abraham With paying attention. (coughs) I decided a couple years back. uh, I just became aware I'll say. That everywhere you go people around you are hurting. I think social media has given us this false sense. That anybody's got it. You know that some people really do have it all together. And their life is great. And everything is wonderful. When that's not the reality at all. I think that most people, including people sitting right in this room, are hurting, lonely, empty, confused, lacking direction, afraid. The list could go on and on and on. I have a friend and and his wife who travel a good bit. And um, he is in the habit of asking uh, anyone who serves him on an airplane or a restaurant or wherever as they are departing is there any way we can pray for you and he regularly posts that people respond oh yes my relative has cancer my husband lost his job my kids are on drugs you name it he just asks I'm convinced that everywhere we go people are hurting And so we start by paying attention, looking into the eyes of people in the grocery store instead of looking at my phone. I'll speak for myself. Taking time to engage with people. Moving toward the need. Two weeks ago, our preacher said, go close, go near, feel the need. And then consider how you can serve. Give what you have. Uh, Last October, Ted and I were... Had the privilege of going to England and we were uh, uh, booked a train from London to Bath. What we didn't know is that if you don't book really, really early and choose your seat, you get to just find a place to prop up while you travel for a couple of hours on this train. So we ended up at the end of a car, and it was kind of an open space where you could put a wheelchair or strollers or whatever. And um, there was some luggage piled there, and a young woman sitting on the floor with a six-month-old baby and a toddler, about three years old. And she was sitting there, and we chatted a little bit because we're all kind of in this space together. You couldn't help it. And the little boy says, Mommy, and he needed to go to the restroom. So she starts trying to stand up on a moving train holding a six-month-old baby, and I just said, I'll hold the baby if that would help, and she handed him to me, and I said, just go ahead and do what you need to do. I mean, we're on a moving train. It's not like I'm going to take the baby and run off with him, and so we sat there, and she took her son, and it took a little while to wait in line, and They came back, and I said, I'm fine. I don't mind holding him. So I sat and held him until he got fussy, and then I gave him back to the mom. And they got off a little bit before us on the train, and she thanked me. And and, um, I gave what I had, which is grandma arms that love to hold babies. The writer of our Bible study calls that hospitality on the go. Isn't that cool? Hospitality on the go. Wherever you are, you can extend hospitality to someone. So that was us, Ted and I, offering and visiting with this family and offering them hospitality. But years ago, someone offered hospitality to us. And it was around 44 years ago. I think we were newly engaged. And uh, Ted worked at a small art studio. And one of the women there said, hey, we're having our house blessed. Why don't you all come? And We didn't really know her and not sure I even knew what a house blessing was. But we said yes. I I think back and wonder, why did we even say we would go? I'm not sure. But we did. And so we went and we showed up. And if I remember correctly, we were the only people invited. It was just the four of us. And we're just kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden, I knew I'd get emotional at this part. (laughs) This priest shows up to do the house blessing we'd never seen him before but it was this guy named whitey hogan and so ted and i were introduced to whitey that that day at their home and um part of me wants to just say the rest is history you know it changed our lives we started going to his wednesday night uh, or thursday night i think it was little bible study called his time and It didn't take long to decide this is the person we want to marry us. And so he did, 43 years ago. Um, It was a life-changing invitation simply to say, we're going to have our house blessed. Why don't you all come? Okay, so we did. So hospitality, seeking eagerly the love of strangers, and I would add to that not just strangers, but even people you know, Because in a sense, we're all strangers to each other. we just saying that only the Father can know our hearts, and that's so true. Um, It's work to get to know each other and and love each other. And so I would say that it might mean meeting a physical need like uh, food or clothing or holding a baby on a train, or it could be inviting someone to your home. It could be striking up a conversation with the person in line at Publix. It could mean really talking to your neighbor instead of just waving when you drive by and assuming that means you're friends and you know each other. And so who knows that any act of opening our hearts and lives to another person just might be the beginning of a journey that will lead them to Christ. I found there's so much you can find online online. I was surprised to see that there are books and books written about biblical hospitality. But I did find this, and I know it's too small probably for you to read, but it says, Hospitality is about so much more than entertaining. It's about relationships. It's about getting to know those in your church and neighborhood who are hurting for human connection, love, and service. Hospitality is about following God's command." To love your neighbor. It's not about the perfectly clean house or the perfectly cooked meal. It's about relationships and getting to know others and letting them get to know us. I saw another little phrase that said, hospitality is not about inviting people into our perfect homes. It's about inviting people into our imperfect uh, hearts. And so as individuals, how we live that out may vary. You may love to invite people to your home, and you may not. You may love chatting with everybody you run into, everywhere you are, and you may not. For some, it will be easier than others to reach out. But the bottom line is it's something we're all called to do. And I would encourage all of us, Ask the Lord each day to show you where's an opportunity to speak to someone to offer hospitality. As a church, we've received amazing hospitality. When we didn't have a building to meet in, Crown Point Baptist didn't wait for us to ask. They knew we had a need and they called us and said, we can't help you on Sundays, but here are keys to our church. And it's yours every Tuesday for three years. You can use anything you want. Paper plates, paper cups, the copier, whatever. It doesn't matter. Here, it's yours. That was a huge, huge gift of biblical hospitality to us. And after we moved into this building, it was a no-brainer that we would in turn offer hospitality to the Philadelphia church who meets here. To his big house who at that time was a a ministry independent of all souls who needed a place to live. And we said, of course. And now his big house has become uh, a ministry directly supported under all souls. And so we're praying as a church and seeking the Lord on how we can go close and go near and, and minister to those communities how to serve the community right next door to us. We have a gate that goes right to a whole bunch of people in assisted living and, um, and independent living. How do we offer hospitality to them? And so our offer of hospitality on the go or in our homes most likely will not be a matter of life and death in the sense that it was for Abraham's Three visitors, or for anyone traveling in the desert, but it just might be a matter of life and death for that person that we reach out to. I'm going to ask you to just take a few moments and just um, ask the Lord. You know, where where do I need to step into this? Um, what do I need to look at in my own life that would um, enable me to to step in? I know. I need to carve out space for space because I'm basically an introvert, and if I don't get space, I don't really want to be with more people. And so for me to be comfortable reaching out to others, I need to make sure I'm taking care of the space that I need for me so that I can not go to Publix and avoid eye contact with people because I don't want to talk. And so that's something that the Lord showed me I need to work on so that I'm more prepared and more ready and able to step in uh, to show hospitality for others. So just take a moment or two, and and then we will uh, say the creed together. Practice hospitality. Yes, it is in the Bible, folks.